<clears throat> I will. Uh, I will. Will will share with you folks as well that this this the thing that put me in the hospital a few weeks ago um, continues to heal and is doing remarkably well. But for some strange reason, it has turned into an incredibly painful healing process, and I don't know why, and neither does my doctor, because it looks good, but it hurts like crazy. And, uh, and so if I seem a little bit grimacing or perhaps uh, <laughs> like I'm uncomfortable, it's not because Dale is staring at me. Um, it's because this thing is flaring up on me again a little bit here. So uh, it's, it's goofy. It's, it's, it's Sunday morning. It didn't hurt in the slightest. And last Wednesday when I was here, it didn't hurt in the slightest. And when I was coming down here, it didn't hurt. But I feel it. So I just wanted to make a mention there. So if I did get acting a little goofy, um, you know why. All right, we have been in the book of James, and we have been studying uh, all the way down through chapter 2, and we're about to uh, get into chapter 3. We stopped because uh, chapter 3 goes into discussion of, of taming the tongue. And we didn't. We only had a few minutes left last week, and I figured that that might take us a little bit longer to get through than just a few minutes. Um, it's generally a fairly t uh, popular topic when we when we teach and we uh, go through the book of James. Um, I'll remind you again that James is is writing to a group of Christians that is dealing with immaturity. He's writing to a group of Christians that uh, that that he knows. Uh, needs to put aside worldly endeavors and worldly ways and worldly pursuits and focus more on uh, spiritual things and focus more on uh, what God would have them do and how God would have them behave as a group of Christians. And so he's, he's gone through the, the uh, process here of talking about um, testing of your faith with trials He's talked about being a hearer and a doer of the word, and so letting your faith lead to good works. He's talked about the sin of partiality and how uh, that that we, we have sometimes this um, terrible uh, preconceived notion that we'll have on folks when we see them, and we become partial to how we treat them, and we may not treat everybody the same or everybody fairly just because of their status or or whatever um, may exist. And so then he also talked about uh, faith without works and how it's dead. And now we get into taming the tongue. And I find it interesting that the very first verse in chapter 3 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness on the, on the surface, that doesn't seem to have a whole lot to do with the taming of the tongue, and, and maybe doesn't even seem like it has a whole lot to do with faith without works. And yet it's wedged right in between this lesson of faith and works and getting into this topic of the tongue. I find it curious, and I don't know that I've really found a very good explanation or, or opinions by commentators as to the placement of this. Um, you'll see this verse pulled out and used on its own regularly, but I'd, I'd like for us to examine it um, in, in context. What do you think might be the purpose of this being said right here, right before he starts talking about the tongue, 
and after he has talked about um, your works. Maybe there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians, and he's to let them know, if you want to be a chief, you're going to be held to a higher regard. So you have to be careful what you say, what you do, because you're being looked at more closely than a common person would. So he's to let them know, if you want to be a chief, your cross is going to be bigger and heavier for you to carry than someone who's not. And, and let's let's frame it too in the in the, the thought of of immature Christians. Let's let's take it from that perspective because I, I agree with you that an immature person in the Christian faith, one of the things that we see that 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 we know he's dealing with here from various uh, things that we read is that the the folks in this group desire without any doubt to have a higher status. And they desire to be elevated to some place that they think gives them more power, gives them, um, you know, that they're looked upon higher. And and certainly a leadership role in the church, be that teachers, be that a pastor, uh, a leader on any level, is, is something that I could see that these folks would perhaps be striving to. And so he gives them this warning uh, right in the midst of all of this to say, and I have to assume that that he knows that they are, like you said, there's a lot of people trying to get into those into those status positions. And so I ask you too this question, when he says you'll be judged with greater strictness, do you think that means earthly judgment or heavenly judgment or both? I think both. I, I tend to land on land in both. You'll see most commentaries talk about talk about rewards. And talk about God's judgment, and I believe that that's that's a hundred percent applicable. But if you really stop to think about it, when a teacher falls, teacher takes a lot of people with them, and and that's gonna that's gonna land on the side of judgment from heaven, and it's also from, from God. It's also gonna land on the side of judgment from those around you. Because yeah, I mean, he even tells them, like, and he, he was kind of also based on like towards little kids, but. Is he referring to like little kids, like kid kids, or like Christians? But he says, you know, if you call one thing to stumble, it's better for you to have a steel melt around your neck and be thrown into the lake, you know? Um, you know, so even like a pastor who is not actually teaching God's word and leading people to Christ, you know, he's going to have a bigger, you know, he's his judgment probably is going to be a lot more because he's got all those lives in his hands. Yes. You know, God's going to say, you know, I put you in that position, but you took it on your own. So because of that, this many people, you're taking with you to the depths of hell. And we're going to see this, this same tone continue on throughout um, the rest of chapter 3, off and on, and even into chapter 4. Uh, because he's he's trying to address this problem of worldliness and selfish ambition. Selfish ambition, and you'll see how James frames selfish ambition if we get far enough down down through the uh, the verses tonight. But but he, he frames selfish ambition as, as really the beginning and and the start of of everything that's bad. As selfish pursuits and selfish ambitions lead to so many problems that it's going to lead to a, a total downfall. 
And so he starts off by making it clear that you better realize that if you want to be a teacher and you want to have a leadership role in the church, if it is tied strictly to selfish ambitions and not to, to reach, uh, reach people for Christ, you're going to have problems. And you're going to experience problems on earth, and you're definitely going to experience problems when it comes to rewards in heaven. There's, a, there's something here you need to consider, and you better take that into consideration before you endeavor to enter into those, uh, those, those particular types of roles. Um, and quite frankly, this verse causes me to pause every time I read it. Well, the verse about a millstone tied around your neck. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You yeah. see all the things that happen in churches, and you think, how can these people that know God's Word and just know that verse alone? I know. Literally. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but and, and I think that's a hundred percent hundred percent accurate. But you know, there but for the grace of God go I, right? It's a it's a we all have a sin problem and we're all tempted in various ways and we all have a propensity to sin in different ways. And and when the devil finds a weakness and he sees a way to bring down somebody who's in who is in a leadership role in a church. He keeps working on him, and and it's up to that person one to make sure that they're in that position for the right reasons, and two to make sure that they surround themselves with people who will help them. Far too many times, people in leadership roles begin to feel like they're isolated, and they start to act like they are alone. And when they do that, they become more susceptible. To downfall, and we, and that's true for all of us. Though, when if if we don't do what we're doing here, if we decide that we're just going to stay home, and that we, you know what, I can read my Bible at home, I can do this, I'm I can be spiritual in my own house, and I don't need to come out and worship with other Christians, and I don't need to study God's word with other Christians. You are opening yourself up to a fall. This is how we strengthen one another. This is how this is how God has told us that we need to be together. We should not forsake this. This is important for us to strengthen one another, to lift each other up, to pray for each other. And 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 it's it's something that when you get when you put yourself on an island, you're doomed to fail. There could be a tsunami coming. There could be a tsunami coming. Yeah, there could be a tsunami coming. And so, and so I think there's a, there's a lot of lessons in what James is is talking about here, uh, because the, I think the reason it, it's it, well, I keep I quote Tim Walter a lot because because I spent so much time with him over the years. But but he like he liked to say if God says something once, it's important. If God says something twice, it's really important. And if He says it more than twice, boy, you better pay attention. And when we go through here and we see all of these references to selfish endeavors. We need to take time to, to examine why do we want to do the things we want to do and what is driving us. Because when you take a look at the, at the, at the folks that we often call the, the megachurch pastors that have fallen, and I'm not trying to slam megachurches, that's not my point here, but they have been elevated to superstar celebrity status, and they start to feed on that. And they're open to feeling that 
And unfortunately, like you said, they took God goes off the pedestal and they put themselves on it. And bad things start to happen. And so James is warning. And he continues to warn as we go on. But he gets back on the topic of the tongue. And he says in verse 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So we'll go ahead and read the rest of this here in verse 3. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Wonder why he chose to use the word boasts here. Does that tie in, you think, with this whole idea of trying to get yourself in a good position, trying to get people to think well of you. You know, I caught a fish was this big, right? Just saying. So the tongue has a lot of things it can do. It can lie. It can insult. And those things don't get overlooked here. But it's interesting to me that when he starts talking about and giving examples of how something so small can direct the entire body of something so big, and he uses a ship's rudder, he uses a horse's bridle. And he also says we stumble in many ways. But when he talks about the tongue and its smallness, he says it boasts of great things. It is, it is something that is um, so easy for us to do. I, I know, I mean, I've, I've had, to teach, had to teach my kids it, it bothers me when they're little and they start talking and they start telling a story or they start saying things and it starts to go in a direction that I know is just not quite right. You know, it, 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 it does. It has happened. And you have to go. Now, wait a minute. Did that really happen that way? Josh, I don't think I ever did that with you. No. <laughs> I won't mention the kids that I did do it with, um, but I can start narrowing it down quickly. Um, <laughs> But there's this propensity in some of us, more than others, to, to start to boast of things because it starts to get us attention and we like it. We like it. And so that's what James is dealing with here is you've got to realize that once you start boasting of things, things start to go downhill quickly. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So in other words, the words, the evil words that come out of the tongue are driven by Satan himself. It's Satan tempting us to give in to these temptations and these desires and to say the things that we know we shouldn't say. In verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast, bird, and reptile, and sea creature can be, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Isn't that something? Come to church, 
and we praise God and we worship God and we walk out the door and then we say something negative about someone else who is made in God's image. This is the type of thing that he is addressing. Verse 10, he says, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. And he compares it to a spring. Springs were so important, obviously, in that region in order to get water. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It ought not to be that out of our mouths come two different streams of different things. You know, it goes back to the double-minded man to, to, a, to an extent, does it not? Where, where is our heart? Where is our mind focused? And uh, as he said, we, in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways, but we have to realize that it is by saying something that just the, the amount of caution that we should take in what comes out of our mouth should be this big before we ever speak about anything, anyone, on any topic. We have to be careful because it's so easy to start that little snowball at the top of the mountain. And by the time it gets to the bottom of the mountain, you know, you play, you play, you play the telephone game, right? Yeah, it's, 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 you're right. It takes out a whole village. It's, uh, it is so simple for those types of things to take off. You know, and and I and I I feel for for uh, my my mom and for the people that that are live next to her out there in the condo. They literally have nothing to do, and yeah, you're laughing. But but what they do get to do is is sit and look out the window all day at people, and what that goes into is talking about those people, and oftentimes those things go into other things. And so I'll have conversations with mom and I'll, and I'll go, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I just shake my head, you know. <laughs> but it's, we have to be careful. I'm not going anywhere with that. I'm just saying it exists. So. <laughs> it's me like, you can see what, what is the secret of life? Like, just think what world would be if we all could do this. Yeah. I think it would solve all the problems with it. I mean, the whole world, if this, everybody just washed their tongue and didn't speak bad about people and just were compassionate. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't focus on it, but go back to verse 2. He says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so, so we're not going to see that. That, 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 was, that was Jesus. Yeah. If we should strive for that. That's the point. If we strive for that, if we work on that, if we consider what what we're saying and what kind of an impact it may have on the ones who hear it or the ones who don't hear it, um, it's it's a good idea. It's a good idea whenever you're talking. Um, imagine that if you're talking about someone or making a reference to someone that they're right there with you. How would that change what you say? How would that influence what comes out of your mouth? And would you want them to hear it? second hand these are the types of things that get out of control and and they they drive wedges 
between relationships, and they split churches. They go to that level. There was a couple, uh, two years, maybe three years ago, um, down at one of the our, one of our latest trips, um, the last time, my last time was um, for that day, was talking about like being careful what you say and and um, and you know and it was brought up that if you go to say something like to gossip about somebody or say something ill about somebody to someone else before you say anything imagine Jesus standing between you and the other person you're going to go talk to are you going to go through him to do you know you have to go through him to get to that other person so is it going to makes you think differently okay you know um, I got to go through Jesus before I can get to this next person. Yeah. It would change. I think it would change an awful lot if we could do that. Well, if you look at verse 13, what he starts to do now is to talk about, if you remember back in chapter uh, chapter 1, we talked about how he says that God gives wisdom freely to those who ask for it. And all you have to do is ask for it. But in verse 13 here in chapter 3, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of his wisdom. To James, wisdom was not just something that was intellectual. To James, wisdom was something that was shown in the way that you behave. Because he's, he's trying to make this point that the more that you mature as a Christian, the more your attitude shifts. And the more you can, the more you gain in wisdom, the more you become gentle in the way that you respond to others. And so he taught, when he talks about meekness, meekness is something that, that you should be able to see. And if you see that type of a behavior in a believer, it's a sign that he's grown in maturity and grown in wisdom. And so he says in 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. These are strong words, and they build. It's earthly. Not only is it earthly, but it's unspiritual. And you know what else it is? It's of Satan. If that's the kind of wisdom that you possess, then it's the wrong wisdom. In verse 16, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile Practice. Read that again with me. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. He, he really takes this, this whole issue of being for ourselves, trying to elevate ourselves, looking at others and feeling jealous of their status and trying to push ourselves up to that level. He takes that as saying, look at, the, look at the pride that's within you. Look at this selfish ambition. Realize what comes from that. Everything else will come from that. You will start to see, and that's what we talked about earlier. 
you start to see the downfall of, of those who are in leadership positions in the church. These other vile practices stem from a selfish ambition and jealousy. And if, like an if, if when someone does that to someone, like they're saying something against them to try and make themselves better or for whatever jealousy, ambition they have inside them, it not only affects the person that they think they're attacking, which in their mind, they're only hurting that one person there. They're not seeing how their action that causes other people to hurt that loves that individual. Well, that, that I mean, because if they if they saw that, if they realized that, they might do it, they might behave differently. Yeah, yeah, they're not they don't look they don't look past their selfish desires. Yeah, it just doesn't affect one, it affects many, and then you know it affects relationships that you know everybody everybody has, like someone in the church, you know, like you said. Cause it to split, or it can cause you know that hardship. In without a doubt, without a doubt. So what what I what I get from this is again warning everyone to look at their at, at their what drives them. Is it a selfish ambition? Are you are you are you trying to get into a leadership position in the church? To frame this in context, are you trying to get into a leadership position in the church? Because you want to be a status, a higher status, because you want people to look up to you, or are you trying to get into a leadership position in the church because you feel called to that position and because you really want to reach people and grow God's kingdom? What is driving you? And he's warning people that if it is a selfish endeavor, there's other things that are going to come from it. If this isn't a warning to what we see, like what you talked about, Jimmy, to all the stuff that we see going on these days uh, in churches, um, then I don't know what is. But, I mean, we talk about the big churches, but it happens in the little churches too. You know, all, the, all of the Southern Baptists have gotten completely out of whack this year, and that's, that's, that's an understatement. I mean, everything about the Southern Baptist Convention over the last two years, every headline has been negative all because of the cover-ups and the, when, there's been, when there's been issues with um, things that should not have gone on in the church that involve youth and, and involve abuse, they have taken them to the pastors and the leaders and the deacons of those churches, and those people in charge have said, let's keep this within our church. Let's don't, let's don't bring the authorities in because they don't want people to look at them negatively and think, oh, look what's going on over there. They want to try and deal with it internally. And that's horrible. And because that's, that's a selfish endeavor, that's not, that's, that's not right at all. And that's, that has led to nothing but problems, not just for the church, but for the people involved. My goodness, it's been horrible. If you read about any of the folks who have been involved in this, it's just been horrible. And it's all from a selfish endeavor. So he goes on to say in verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
If someone had come in those instances that I alluded to, to church leadership and said, this occurred, this person did this, and something needs to be done. And they would have approached it with wisdom from above. It would have been handled with those descriptors that you see there. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, which also means that you're going to want to deal with it in a just manner. And you're going to want to go through the right channels to handle it. And you're going to want to see that the person involved is taken care of and that their needs are met and they're ministered to and they're not pushed off to the side and they're not treated like somebody who's just trying to, to bring attention to themselves because these things have happened and they've brushed them off. This is a pet peeve of mine. It, it bothers me some fierce that these things have happened, in our, especially in our denomination or anywhere for that matter. But James tells us how to handle it. In verse 18, he says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So that wisdom from above that, that, that we are, are told to ask for, we are told to pray for, that we are told that God gives us willingly if we ask for it in all situations, it manifests itself in the way we behave. And it manifests itself in the way we react with other Christians and in the way that we serve. And so you should be able to see that wisdom in others as they grow. <clears throat> Comments, questions? I like my, my Bible's translation too says, Peacemakers who sow in peace, raising harvest of righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It, sound, it, it actually sounds better than the ESV rendering. Yep. I like ending that on a harvest of righteousness. Without a doubt. Anything else? Back to the first verse. Yes, sir. When these things occur with leaders, not only does it affect that church, religion in general, but worst of all, it affects lost people. Absolutely, it does. If this is being what being saved is about, I don't need that. Nope. It fuels their doubts. That's where the real bad. It fuels their doubts. It absolutely does, Dale. And it, you know, if anybody has any 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 negative thoughts about the church, they look at it and go, "I can get, I can be treated that way by by everybody. I don't need church." Yeah. It does. It has. It has a. You know, Awana used to teach um, when we would when we would talk on the subject of of uh, child uh, child protection and making sure that we had proper procedures and policies and things in place and that we handled any situation like that properly. The way that they taught us was with a video that absolutely floored me. The video opened up with a series of people who were talking about the, how what didn't happen in their lives because they didn't have the opportunity to go to a church in their community. And then they wrapped it up by saying, and it's because this church that was in their community handled the situation like this, and they closed. And so they were trying to get you to look at it from the perspective of, 
not what happens to your to your church, but what happens if you do this wrongly? You don't do it the way God wants you to handle it, and you wind up closing your doors. You no longer have the opportunity to minister to people. And if you're truly out there for that purpose, the repercussions are endless. And it was and it was it was just it was eye opening because when those instances come up or emergencies or problems tend to come up to church leadership. It's easy to go, okay, hang on a minute. How do we how do we compartmentalize this here? We don't we don't need so and so or you know, because because you start thinking about people in the congregation, how they're reacting. And no, 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 no. It's 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 like Clarence Thomas says, right is always right. And you cannot get away from that. You know, and, and so we, we have to look to God's word and determine what is right. We have to pray for wisdom so that we can determine what is right. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a process. And when we start to in, incorporate selfish endeavors, it goes wrong every time. I think it was yesterday's devotion in the open windows where it talks about the Israelites when they went out and tried to fight the Philistines. And they got conquered. And lost somebody in the camp at the Barnardale. Well, well, if we go back and get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back with us, then God will be in the midst of us and we'll defeat the Philistines. Well, they still, the Philistines still end up wiping out the Israelites and took the Ark of the Covenant. And it it was all saying, all back because, just because, you know, they thought they had God with them, but because they didn't seek God's wisdom before they went into battle. God was not did not go with them on either time. So even though you think you might think, oh well, I've got God with me, if you don't actually seek Him and actually have Him, yeah, you're out there on your own. The wisdom of man will fail every time. Yeah, the wisdom of man will fail every time, without a doubt. Anything else? Good words. I love the Book of James. I love it. It's uh. I uh, said that early on. I know I enjoy teaching and, and going through it. There's just so much for us to talk about. And it never uh, it, it never ceases to, to yield something new every time we open it up. Let's see here. we got a few more minutes. Um, let's, let's go ahead and start getting into chapter 4 a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 1, it, uh, the, the title of this section is usually warning against worldliness. Because what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire to, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Anybody else have a different word for that? I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty harsh, pretty much across all the translations here. Um, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Let me stop there for a minute. Harsh words saying you desire and do not have, so you murder. Um, generally accepted that this is this is not meaning you actually are murdering, um, but it's a, it's more of a of, of meant to make a point uh, for for your attitude and and for the way that that you. Uh, act toward others. Um, okay, there you go. Yeah, and so so it's 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 there's a couple different ways that that's been interpreted. Uh, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So again, we're talking about passions. We're talking about desires. Um, 
These are the things that are causing fights among this group of people and will cause fights and stir up among any group of people. But then he says in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So this is, this is going back to if he has said that God gives willingly, and let's talk about wisdom because that's the specific here. Let's say that people are asking for wisdom, but they're not getting it. He's saying that there's a way that you need to ask. He's saying that when it comes to prayer, your heart matters. So again, he goes back to the fact, are you asking for selfish reasons? Are you asking for wisdom so that you can achieve worldly pursuits? Are you asking for wisdom so you can achieve godly pursuits? And you need to examine why you're asking. Where is your heart? When you go to God and ask for things, because he makes it very clearly, or says it clearly here, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Then he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Cannot serve two masters. You know? Cannot serve two masters. Not to say that we can't be friends with people in the world, right? Let's not, let's not take it to that level. Um, but therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God does jealously yearn for us to worship him without a doubt. Scripture is clear on that. Now, let's not interpret that wrong. Um, you know, it, it's it, God deserves our worship, and, and He wants our worship, but make no mistake about it, He doesn't need our worship. Verse 6 says, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You'll oftentimes hear that, that quoted um, by uh, folks like Ray Comfort. Uh, if you've ever watched Ray Comfort and how he witnesses to people on the street, the first thing he does is he walks up to them and says, do you believe you're a good person? If anybody's ever seen him do this, he usually has a camera and he's recording and he'll have a microphone and he says, do you believe you're a good person? And most of the time the folks say, oh yeah, I believe I'm a good person. And then he'll go down the line and say, well, have you ever lied? Well, okay, yeah, I've thought. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, yeah, stole something too. Have you ever uh, looked at a woman in a certain way? Well, well, yeah, I've done that too. Okay, well, that's adultery and that's a serious sin. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Well, I've done that too. Okay, well, you know, if you were to die today, God says that those are all serious sins that you've committed. And because of that, if you were to die today, you're not going to go to heaven unless you know Christ. And then he starts to, to work with them from that point on. And he quotes this line frequently, that he says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble because in his point of view, when he witnesses to folks, when he starts off, they're proud because they say, yes, I'm pounding my chest, I'm a good person. And then the more he takes them down and shows them their flaws by using the law, when he gets to the end, they should see that they should be humbled because they're not as good as they thought they were. And so he uses this verse as his reasoning to say, now this is the opportunity for God to show you his grace because you have gone from proud to humble. And, and it's an interesting thing to watch uh, if you've never seen him 
do, do witnessing and street preaching. But, but regardless of that particular approach, this, the statement remains true, right? It says that <laughs> when we are proud and we are puffed up, um, it, that's not where we need to be. When we humble ourselves is when we'll get to receive God's grace. So in verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So realize, you you dreadful sinners, where your hearts are. And let it humble you. Let it let it take this false happiness that you're experiencing because you're happy about worldly things and let you come to the realization how much you are absolutely breaking God's heart. And when you come to that realization, you should mourn and weep and your laughter should be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom and then humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Verse 11, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We might have to dig into that some next week. We might have to dig into that some next week. Um, I'll stop there and ask for comments or questions on what we kind of blew through there quickly. Um, Worldliness is a terrible thing. And like everything else that James talks about here, we are all subject to it. And again, I say, if we don't take the time to do what we're doing, if we don't take the time to be in Scripture, if we don't take the time to go to church, if we don't take the time to remind ourselves of God's Word, it's, it, it, I used to tell all the, all the Awana parents that, you know, in Awana, we have your kids for an hour or an hour and a half a week. The rest of the time, the world has them or you have them. And it's just like when you're eating. If you choose to eat 100% junk food, you know what happens. And unfortunately, we have them for an hour where we get to feed them God's word. And if the rest of the week they're eating junk food, it's awfully hard for this to sink in and to become truth for them. And so we would encourage the parents to be involved and try to try to feed them throughout the week as well. It matters. It matters. Well, I'll wrap up there unless there's any further comments. Go for it. Oh, yeah, have at it. A a thought. It just says, humbling ourselves means recognizing that our work comes from God alone. To be humble involves working with His power according to His guidance, not with our independent effort. Although we do not deserve God's favor, He reaches out to us in love and gives us worth and dignity despite our human shortcomings. Nice. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, that's a good footnote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much sums that up. It does. It does a real good job of it. 
does a real good job of it. Anything else? It just says when we fail to love, we actually break God's law. Yeah. So when we're doing that judging of other people or any comments and we're not loving them instead of building their if we're tearing them down instead of building them up, we're breaking the law. We're breaking the law. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate y'all being here tonight on a night when we yeah, I know the great's over. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine how I must feel. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you were here anyway. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go ahead then and close. Uh, Dale, would you mind closing for us, please? Thanks. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day that you've blessed us with. We thank you, Lord, for this time when we come to thy house and study your word. And Lord, we thank you for Brother John leading us tonight. We just pray, Lord, that we go from this place that we might have a better understanding of the scriptures that we study tonight and that we might... Uh, Strive to be more as this example set before us. Lord, we lift up all those on the prayer list. We ask you to meet each need according to your will. Pray for our services this Easter Sunday, Lord, that we would truly remember and rejoice over the risen Savior and uh, just worship you and lift you up in the mighty way. Forgive us where we fail you in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dale.